0: Ezekiel 34, in your Old Testament. Uh, During the pandemic months, I took to reading and and studying the prophets of the Old Testament. It's a part of the scriptures that I admittedly spend very little time in. Um, But uh, during the solitude of the pandemic, I had uh, certainly more time to read and study and to contemplate these books in the scriptures. And one of the chapters I was looking at is this chapter here, 34 of Ezekiel. And it is about Christmas. You'll see in a few moments. I don't know that I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, but we're going to cover the content of it. Again, it is about Christmas. I I have a love-hate relationship with Christmas. Some of you understand what I mean. I, I, I do love the family traditions and My family does have particular traditions. I find it humorous because over the years, um, we always filmed the three boys coming down the hall on Christmas morning, and you can see those films uh, gathering uh, together uh, in the living room after they come out of bed, their hair is all, you know, and and they're in their pajamas, and oh, look at all the Christmas gifts on Christmas morning. But it was kind of odd last year when they were, you know, in their 20s. They said, Mom, do we have to do this? Oh, yes, I said. You have to come out of your room, line up, and we're going to film. And we did. And it was awkward for them, but I enjoyed it. We have our traditions, and I love them. However, I don't care for trying to figure out what gifts to buy for them each year. I find that very hard to do. I never know what to get. I love hate relationship. I love Christmas music, but I have to admit that I hate listening to them way before Thanksgiving on every major radio station. Don't enjoy that at all. I love the gift giving. I hate the stress over the cost. I love the church calendar. I, I love the songs that we sing here. I love the message of the Incarnation. But I hate how Christmas has become so commercialized. It's nothing new, but I still hate it. I love saying Merry Christmas, but I hate that I have to think twice before I say it in public. I love hate relationship. Well, my friends, truly enjoying an amazing Christmas will require that we see Christmas properly. And as we kick off the Advent season this Lord's Day, let me suggest to you that you look to make this Christmas different. Different than last year, different than the year before. And that your focus, because you intentionally wanted to do this, will be on a true reason for Christmas. I know it's said every year, but we all also know how easy it is to lose focus of the real reason for our gathering, for our celebrations, for our gift-giving. It has much more to do with Christ than the Yule Log. Far more to do with the Advent, the coming, the incarnation of Christ than it has to do with mistletoe or Rudolph and so on. I would like for you to have an amazing Christmas. And by amazing is that, that you will receive whatever it is you put on your list but rather that you see the beauty, the depth, the generosity, the love, the grace, the mercy, the sovereign plan of God in giving to us Jesus Christ as our Savior. I really do hope you see that this year. I know you've probably seen that in the past, but I also know how easy it is to forget because the reality of Christ is so habitual for us, it's so routine for us, that we tend to take it for granted. We tend to overlook the seriousness, the beauty of the Incarnation, that God would become flesh. I wish for you an amazing Christmas. But I must admit that, like you, I have been seduced by an alternate Christmas. I hope to change that this year. To do that, I thought that I would uh, take a look backwards at an ancient Christmas. A Christmas story that occurred before not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. A Christmas that dates prior to Dickens' Christmas Carol where old Marley is dead and visits Ebenezer Scrooge. A Christmas before there were Christmas trees, or mistletoe, or stockings uh, hanging by the fire, or a Christmas even before the practice of gift-giving. In fact, I want to take you to a Christmas story that dates even before Mary and the manger and the wise men and the shepherds. I want to take you all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. And I want you to see there the promise of Christmas. I would like for us this morning and actually throughout this Christmas to have a Christmas without mediocrity. Do you know what I mean by that? I I would like for you to have a Christmas in its full force. Full force. Not just warm wishes, seasonal gatherings with seasonal songs and seasonal drinks, but rather that you would come to know the significance of Emmanuel. God is with us. I want you to see the reality that God has come and he has made himself known to us. And I wonder, how many of you have actually experienced God? How many of you have seen God? Now, I'm not suggesting you have seen him with your eyes. If you did, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead. (laughs) But how many of you have experienced God in the sense that he lives in you? That the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you and guides you, illumines your mind so that you can understand the scriptures. That you have experienced God in the sense that you have purpose in life you know why you're here and you know where you're headed. You have experienced Christ. You know that your soul is safe. And that you have inherited eternal life. This Christmas story recorded here for us in chapter 34 of Ezekiel is certainly prophetic. I was listening to a pastor, author, Legan Duncan, and he speaks of this ancient Christmas. And he notes here that the shepherds of Israel are being accused. I'm going to call my first point here, the shepherd's failure, the shepherd's failure. This is what happens when shepherds fail, the shepherd's failure. But before I say anything else, before we even read portions of the chapter, let me note something to you. The whole chapter is a metaphor. The whole chapter is a metaphor of kings and priests, the leaders of the land. It was a nation that was led by a monarchy, kings, and led by the religious leaders, the priests, and they fail. These are the shepherds of Israel. Israel. In fact, go to the very end of the chapter. Look at chapter 34, verse 31. It reads this way. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, referring to the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. You are my sheep. You are the sheep of my pasture. And if the people are the sheep, then the leaders of the sheep are the kings and the priests, And so the chapter here is referring to the failure of the government and of the spiritual leaders. They have failed. And God is now addressing them. He he says, you have failed the people of God. And because you have failed the people of God, you have then also failed me. How have we failed you? And God says, by neglecting to care for God's people, his sheep, and you have failed because you have been self-indulgent. In other words, you're reigning from the throne, but you're reigning for your gain. You're leading in the things of God, but you're not doing it for the glory of God. You're not even doing it for the good of the people. You're doing it because there's benefit for you. They were a very uncaring and negligent leadership. And they did as they pleased. If you read through the Old Testament, you see that again and again. They did whatever they wanted to do. At times, you find some kings and some spiritual leaders who actually did what was their responsibility before God. But by and large, we scratch our heads and say, Wow, were these people dense? What's wrong with these people? And then we step back and say, hold it. Our times are not much different than those times, than those days. They ignored the word of God. And now God here is speaking to them. And he refers to them as the shepherds of God's sheep, the people of Israel. These appointed leaders are now being called out for the wrong that they did. And so take a look at verse 1. There it reads, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Instead of feeding the sheep, they're feeding themselves. Themselves off the sheep. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? And what's the answer? Yes. Look at verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. You see, this is all the job of the shepherd. This is what the shepherd is supposed to be doing for the sheep. Right? That's what shepherds do, you care for the sheep. The injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. You can just imagine the sheep beating, rather the shepherd beating the sheep, kicking the sheep, not caring about the sheep. You lose the sheep, well, I still have 99. So I lost one, big deal. Look at verse 6. My sheep were scattered, all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. That's what these guys were doing. And these were the leaders of the nation. And not just the monarchy, but the spiritual leaders too. Now, just for the sake of context, let me give you a little historical context here. King David is long gone. He has been dead for years, as has his son, King Solomon. Now, this is important because David's going to come back in a few chapters, in a few verses, rather. So David is long gone, and the nation has been led by various kings over the years and various priests who would preside over the temple. And as I said earlier, many of them were unworthy of the throne, unworthy of the duties that were assigned to them. And so chapter 34 is happening just prior to, to King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah was the last of the kings of that region. And he was from the lineage of David. Um, This is taking place around the year 586 B.C. So we're talking about about 500 years before the actual birth of Jesus Christ, the actual beginning of Christmas. 500 years, it's a long time, isn't it? I want you to remember that 500 years... Because this is God's timing. It's a long time. King Zedekiah eventually, eventually goes against Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who had invaded the land, who had taken captive the Jewish nation. And Nebuchadnezzar encircles and sieges the city of Jerusalem. It takes him 30 months, two and a half years, before he's finally able to conquer Jerusalem. Uh, it says something about the armies of Israel. Doesn't mean 30 months is a long time. But after 30 months, the city collapses. Nebuchadnezzar takes Zedekiah and over to Syria. takes them to Syria and then takes the sons of Nebuchadnezzar, or rather the sons of Zedekiah, and slaughters them right before Zedekiah. The king watches his children be slaughtered. And then his eyes are plucked out. So the last thing he sees is the death of his boys. This is what's happening as Ezekiel is making these prophecies. He's speaking about what is to happen, and he speaks about the calamity that is yet to come, and eventually it does happen. Now, just so you know, Ezekiel was a young man when the prophet Jeremiah was alive. So as Jeremiah was prophesying, Ezekiel was already alive, but he was young. And then when you come to the great prophet Daniel, Ezekiel was an old man when Daniel was being carted off to Babylon. Just so you know, just give yourself a little framework there as to what's happening historically. So here's the verdict. The verdict is this. You are guilty because of what you have done against the people of God and then God himself. Take a look at verses 10 through 22. Here you see the verdict against Israel's shepherds. And God is saying, I'm going to put a stop to this dodging of your responsibilities. Listen, I've given you a duty to do. You haven't been doing it. I'm going to bring a stop to all this, all this negligence. What kind of shepherds are you? Look at verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. You you never want to hear those words from God coming to you, okay? You never want God to say, I am against you. And this is what he's saying to them. He says, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep of their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and that they may not be food for them. So you see here what God's going to do. He's going to act against these shepherds. He's going to hold them accountable. He's going to stop them. And again, eventually all this does happen through the episodes I just told you in regards to Zedekiah. And then God is going to replace those shepherds. Verse 11, God is going to replace those shepherds. In fact, he says God will be the leader of his own people. God is going to replace those shepherds with himself. Now, I told you this is about Christmas, right? And you're probably wondering, where is the Christmas story here? Well, what we see, beginning of verse 11, is that the priests and the kings are going to be replaced by God himself. Look at verse 11. It reads, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 12, I will rescue them from all places. Who? God says, I'm going to do this. Look at verse 13. I will bring them to their own land. These are the duties of the shepherd. And God is saying, I will be their shepherd. I will do these things. God will become the shepherd of the people. However, it's not just the leaders that are guilty. It's not just the priests and the kings. Look at verse 17. The rulers are not alone in this verdict. Verse 17 begins with, As for you, my flock, you see, the people, the nation, was also guilty of doing likewise. The nation was imitating the leaders. And this is why leadership is so important because when you lead, people follow. What you do, they will do. Husbands, fathers, your children will follow you. They will learn to imitate you. Especially whatever you do poorly. Beware. Anybody with a title, anybody who has a responsibility to lead in whatever form it may be, big or small, important or not, listen, if you're leading, it's important. And understand this, if you're leading, people are following. If you're leading, people are going to imitate you. That's exactly the case here. Maybe some of you saw it. It was about two weeks ago in China. Maybe you saw the video of this uh, herd of sheep that walked in circles for 24 hours straight for 12 days. At least 12 days. Last time I looked, it was 12 days they just kept going in circles. It was rather eerie. One sheep decided to get up and start walking in circles. And what do sheep do? They follow. And so they all just walked in circles hour after hour for 12 days straight and the one who was following said well I'm not the leader I'm just following and the guy who was leading said well I'm not the leader I'm following and so who are you following I'm following them and nobody knew who the leader was everybody was a follower and they just kept going in circles that's what sheep do sheep are not exactly super intelligent sheep follow and God is referring to his people as followers as sheep it's not a compliment Sheep are pretty, they're cute, but it's really not a compliment. So God says to his people, as for you, my flock. Look at verse 17. It says God is going to separate between sheep and sheep, rams and male goats. He's going to separate sheep from sheep. Rams from male goats. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's what we read at the end of the age when God is going to separate his from those who are not his. The, the goats from the sheep. There's going to be that ultimate and final judgment in history in which God will separate those who belong to him and those who do not. One to eternal life and the other to eternal perdition. Eternal death. A living death. That's what the scriptures teach us. and Here we see it coming up in this promise being made in Ezekiel chapter 34. He's going to separate. And in fact, look at verses 18 and 19. I find it very illustrative and very interesting. It says, Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? And we've all have seen, especially around here, animals coming in herds. And the first one to get to the trough eats whatever's there and spills uh, whatever's on the ground. And the, the other animals, whether it's sheep or, or cows, whatever it may be, they have to eat the leftovers. They have to eat what's been trodden on the floor. And then they drink the water. And, and, of course, they're drinking from the water. But as they enter the water, they're mud they muddy up the water and and the sheep or the cows who are behind them they have to drink the muddy water and and God is saying how dare you you're like these sheep you get the best and you trot on everything else and you leave for my people whatever has been trotted on and muddied how dare you how selfish think about others this you should not be doing And so God is saying that he is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the sheep from the sheep. He's saying, I'm going to separate the oppressor from the weak. Uh, you know there's something to be said here and I hate to even bring it up because with all this talk about being woke and and, and, and equity uh, you know, it's almost dangerous to speak about it but you know the Bible does speak about equity not in the CRT way but equity in the sense that we are to be fair we are to be good to others in fact we should deny our rights for the good of others and one of the One of the characteristics of a person who is righteous is one who cares for the weak. One who is not an oppressor. You see, if you are truly in Christ, you will care for those who are destitute. You will care about others who have less than you. You will care about those who come behind you. That that doesn't make you righteous. It is a characteristic of somebody who is righteous. Well, what we see here in chapter 34 is that there's going to be a time of severe reckoning and replacement. God makes that very clear. And he's going to be their shepherd. Can you think of a better shepherd than God himself? I can't. God will search for them. God will rescue them. God will feed them. That's the good shepherd. Verse 22 reads this way. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Amen. God is our shepherd. But now things get a little confusing. Maybe you've read chapter 34 in the past, and you know what I'm talking about. If you come to verses 23 and 24... God promises here a new shepherd other than himself. Oh, he just said, I'm going to be the shepherd. And now he says, I promise you a new shepherd. And here, my friends, is the Christmas story, the ancient Christmas story. Here we find the solution for failed shepherds. And the solution for a failed shepherd is this, a good shepherd, a good shepherd. God said in verse 22 that he is going to be their shepherd. But this is not the full solution. Uh, Rather, what we see as we read on is that God is going to set over them yet another shepherd. Look at verses 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd. Are you confused? God said, I'm going to be their shepherd, but I'm going to give you another shepherd, but there's only going to be one shepherd. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. But isn't David dead? Oh, yes, he is. And he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Verse 24. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So which is it? Is God going to be their shepherd? Or is there going to be someone else who will be their shepherd? Are you following? Because if you're following, you should be confused. (laughs) Hear God's promise. Here is God's promise. That there will be one shepherd. My servant David. Even though David is far long gone. And he will be the shepherd of God's people. And God the Father is going to delegate this task to this prince, referred to here as David. And it will come to pass. Why? Well, the end of the verse tells us, I am the Lord, I have spoken. In a day and age in which we wonder what's going to happen next in our own world here, What's going to be of us? Keep in mind, my friends, God has spoken. His church will survive. He will be with his people. Fear not. Now, mind you, the people of Israel ended up in captivity for 70 years. It was about 500 years between the time of this episode and the actual coming of Christ. Timing can be rather disconcerting from our perspective. But know this, what God has said will be. It's that simple. You don't have to worry about that. It will come to pass. But what do we do here with God's promise that he will be their shepherd And now he says somebody else is going to rescue him. There's going to be a different shepherd. Who is this shepherd of verses 23 and 24? Well, here again is the ancient Christmas story. This one shepherd will be from the lineage of King David. And this is nothing new, my friends. This is what God spoke to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We often refer to it as the Davidic covenant. Let me remind you of what it says. Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 12, and then verse 13. It reads this way. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, in other words, when your days come to an end and you're laying in the ground alongside of your family, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So you see here what's happening in Ezekiel 34, what Ezekiel is prophesying has been said before. And this shepherd is going to be God. In fact, this shepherd will be the God-man. A union of two natures. That's Jesus Christ. God the Son takes on flesh. God the Son takes on flesh and he becomes not 50-50 but rather 100% God and 100% man. Theologically we call that the hypostatic union. The God-man. And so you see here that God the Son will become flesh. And God the Son, from the lineage of David through Mary, is going to become the king. How can God continue then to be shepherd? Well, God the Son is 100% God. So you see, God the Father could say, God will be your shepherd and then send another shepherd as long as that shepherd is God himself. God the Son, Jesus Christ. Here, my friends, is the Christmas story. Jesus Christ, God the Son, in a form of man, is the Good Shepherd that we read about earlier in John chapter 10. This is the Christmas promise. This is the ancient Christmas, that God would rescue his people through this shepherd, God the Son, Jesus himself, about 500 years later. That's long in coming, isn't it? 500 years is a long, long time. But I want you to see, my friends, that our timing often is not in accord with God's. It does require two things. One is faith, two is patience. But God will have his way. And in the process, he will not disown you. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. He will see you through. Even if it seems like 500 years. Finally, what we see here is a promise of what God, the Good Shepherd, is going to accomplish. In fact, this very end of the chapter is what makes Merry Christmas. It's what makes Christmas Merry Take a look at the promise of the Good Shepherd. It begins at verse 25, and it goes down to the very end, verse 31. I'll read it quickly to you. "I I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land. Remember, now we're talking metaphorically. So that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be showers of blessings. And the trees of the field sh- uh, shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I break the bars of their yoke, and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be prey to the nations. Nor shall the beasts of the land devour them, they shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep. Human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. There's the promise of the Good Shepherd. Verse 25 makes it very clear I will establish a covenant of peace. There's the promise a peace covenant. Where the people of God will be secure, they will have safety, there will be freedom, there will be ample provision. It is, a, a, in short, a, a promise of total well-being, as Legan Duncan puts it. Total well-being, a peace covenant. It will be a time in which God's people, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, will know that the Lord God is with them and they will be happy to be on the side of God they will know God they will enjoy showers of blessings this is the promise that God makes that is going to happen through this new shepherd it's a christmas account And it's a promise to Israel. You notice that here, right? This is a promise that's being made to the Jewish nation. It's not a promise to you. It's not a promise to America. It's a promise to Israel. And this promise will be completely fulfilled when Israel finally embraces the shepherd, Jesus Christ. They seem to be far, far away from that, don't they? This covenant of peace will be fulfilled when the Jewish nation that resides around the world turns to Christ. Then it will be finally fulfilled. Right now it's in one of the stages. The shepherd has come. Christmas. But this peace covenant will be fulfilled when they finally turn to Christ. Ezekiel is in essence restating what his predecessor Jeremiah said. Jeremiah in chapter 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He goes on, verse 33, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each other teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. There will be a day in which nobody's going to have to tell you, let me tell you something about God. Do you know Jesus Christ? They're going to say, oh, I know already. I know him. On that day, that covenant will be fulfilled. My friends, I want you to see here that Christmas is not just for the Jew. Christmas is for all of us. The coming of Christ here is particularly and specifically promised to the Jewish people. God would be their shepherd. But listen, he also comes to be our good shepherd. It's not just for the Jew. It is for everyone who would turn to this shepherd, to the God-man, Jesus Christ, and in faith lay their lives before him and saying, yes, I do need a Savior yes I am a sinner yes I am lost and I am under the wrath, the promised wrath of God because of my sins yes I live a purposeless life I don't know what will be of me if I were to die I don't even know why I'm here and God says I will give to you my good shepherd and he will save your soul He will forgive your sins. He will rescue you from the judgment of my Father, of God himself. He will guide you and show to you why he placed you here. He will give you true life. And he says, come to me. Any one of you who are heavy laden, who find life overbearing, who say, oh no, yet another Christmas? Again? So soon? He says, come to me. In fact, in the Gospel of John, before chapter 10, where we speak and read of the Good Shepherd, in chapter 1, we're told, to as many as would receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, sheep of God. And he calls on you to come, that he would be your shepherd and that you would have reason to celebrate Christmas beyond all the greenery and all the traditions and all the niceties of the season, that you would know the shepherd, that you would know true life. He calls on you to marvel this Christmas at what he has done.